Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Become Fire podcast. It is Father Peter Drews McConnell. Good to be back. Right in front of me, it is Father Anthony Tinker. Uh, We are rocking the microphones today uh, in a good mood, talking about the (laughs) Eucharist, which makes us so happy. But before anything else, we want people to listen to the last podcast because they didn't get an answer. I totally dropped Because somebody dropped. So uh, to say that we sometimes prep fun questions, usually we don't. Yes. Uh, And so it just kind of... I, I usually have a little bit of advantage because I think about them. Um, I don't even know what I'm asking this episode yet, so I'll be thinking about that sometime during this episode. But um, you did not answer what your walk-up song would be if I you were not. a professional baseball player. Not. And the crowd is, and we've been getting emails all week, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, even though I don't know that. So, listen. In my defense, that's a very important question, <laughs> and that has, uh, you know, long-standing. You know, I mean, that that it says a lot about an individual. Um, and to be quite honest, I probably didn't spend any more time thinking about my answer, but I do have an answer. <laughs> so in high school, I would listen to my iPod getting ready for the basketball games. And one of the songs I would listen to was uh, The Boys Are Back in Town. So that is going to be my walk-up song, uh, the 80s jam, The Boys Are Back in Town. Um, I don't really know anything about the band or the song, but it got me pumped So if it's up. in any way scandalous... Yeah, please forgive please me. I'm totally a boy. Yeah, who is I don't know. To go back to uh, yeah. his high school, uh, it's, it's it's emotional. It's it's sentimental. Yeah, exactly. Um, today we're going to talk about Bishop Olmsted's letter Ven- Chernui, Amen. which means down in adoration, falling. It's a Amen. line from Saint Thomas Aquinas. He uses Thomas Aquinas quite a bit in this letter. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Bishop has written a few apostolic exhortations for mm-hmm. his diocese. Um, he wrote into the breach about uh, yeah. you know the call to men. Yep. To stand in the breach. Mm-hmm. He wrote one for families. Complete my joy. Um, complete my joy. Yeah. Um, and now he's he's calling out for the Eucharist. Yeah. It's so timely, especially because of for the sure. pandemic. Yeah. Uh, we're in a very interesting situation. <laughs> where the least. It's still, at least in the Diocese of Phoenix, it is not... As of this recording. As of this, re- yeah, yeah. As of when we're recording this. We, no one is mandated to, there's still a dispensation from Sunday, your yes. obligation to Sunday yeah. Mass. Um, so, it's the, so there are those who have not gone to Mass for a year and a half now, over a year. Over um, a year, yeah. And, uh, and in that could still be in, not in mortal sins, in good standing with the church. Yeah. <clears throat> and yet it's, things are starting to open back up. Pastors are getting discretion. We're getting, uh, people are getting vaccines. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast. But we're uh, <laughs> the the things are starting to open up yeah. in the churches for people to come to mass, um, and yet not everybody is. And I think Bishop is crying out to his people, to mm-hmm. his flock, to say, "Hey, I know we're in the pandemic. I know that certain people, the elderly, the vulnerable, maybe aren't able to go back to mass yet. Maybe we don't have capacity yet everywhere. But yeah, we, we got the Eucharist got to be the center. That's right, and not just the Eucharist on TV. You're right. Yeah, the, the mass. Yeah." And worshiping in the Eucharist, and this is not a, a document about the liturgy; it's a word, word about the Mass itself. Yeah. But even with that, and this is probably a different podcast, but just bring it up. A lot of people have been asking questions. Hey, what happened to the chalice? Mm-hmm. You know, what happened to bring a communion right. to the sick? What happened to the sign of peace? Like, are these things gone forever? What's going to happen? Sure. All these things, which we wouldn't necessarily have answers to, but these are questions that people are are asking. Why? Because it's all centered around the Eucharist. Yeah. 
It's all centered around the liturgy itself, which what's liturgy's purpose? It's for us to adore and magnify and glorify the Eucharist. We talk about this. It's a Eucharist is a self-offering. We, mm-hmm. we mentioned this, that it's not for us to receive something. It's for us to offer something mm-hmm. in liturgy. We're going to offer ourselves fully over to God in yeah. Eucharistic worship. And Bishop, I think, is calling out to us to do this. Yeah. And so he begins with an uh, introduction. And just, you know, I was very touched how he talked about his devotion to the Eucharist talks about, comes from his father genuflecting yeah. before the tabernacle yeah, and how sure. touched he was as a child saying, but my dad really believes. Um, and then the reverence, the quiet reverence of his mother, you know, mm-hmm. or the pastor singing the tantum ergo yeah. with such gusto that these actions, more than the words, more than the teachings about the church, these actions exactly. of people who are convicted about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and his family praying together convicted him Jesus is present there, and I'm willing to give my life to that. Yeah, no, it's certainly uh, a theme that runs throughout the letter uh, that he 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 brings up in the beginning in the introduction, where where our belief in the Eucharist um, has to be surrounded by, and it actually uh, belief is imparted more through the our actions that surround the Eucharist than perhaps anything that we might learn about it from a book or a sermon or you know a, a DVD series on, on the Mass or anything like that, that um, what actually communicates to people our belief that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ um, is learned primarily through watching other people and their actions towards it whether that's genuflecting, whether that's kneeling, whether that's making a silent communion after mass, whether that is as how we receive it reverently, you know, um, and all of the, or making holy hours that, that so much more is imparted through, through actions than through speech when it comes to the Eucharist. So why is he writing this? He says, there's a grave yes. crisis of faith in the Eucharist mm-hmm. right now, namely abysmal mass attendance, Abysmal mass attendance, <laughs> declining vocations to marriage, priesthood, and religious life, waning Catholic influence in society. Uh, the nations experience a torrent of assaults upon the truth, right? And what is what do we need? The Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And so his response to all these crises that he names is the Eucharist. And so he starts with part— I, I just want to finish that, where he also talks about the, the crisis involving the gospel message has been watered down yeah. or replaced with ambiguous worldly values yeah. that we— are experiencing a compromising of our faith right now to try to make peace with um, the world in a sense, and it has led to a crisis of faith. And so he moves in, thank you for that, to part one, which is, he titles, The Eucharist, The Mystery to be Revered, mm-hmm. right? This call yeah. to revere. He, he moves into the Bread of Life discourse um, and this, the, this call to feed on his flesh, right? And he talks about how it's a new, new exodus, yeah. Right, that just as as there was a freedom from slavery, the Eucharist uh, frees, and and just as the only freedom that the people had from their slavery was the Lord and what He did in Egypt and freeing them from Egypt, so our only salvation is in Christ Jesus and the sacrifice He made on the cross, which we receive at the Eucharist. He moves into talking about the sacrifice of Calvary, which is really made present to us at Mass, and I think this is so beautiful. Yeah, that He says we are taken up into the one sacrifice at Calvary. Yes. That, that it's one sacrifice, it only happened once for all, um, and yet in the, each, each mass, when it's being celebrated, we're being taken up into that one sacrifice yeah. of Calvary. Yeah. We're being brought into that, this eternal sacrifice that Christ is, is making and is really present. Yeah, he, he, he brings out that 
we call the mass a memorial, uh, but it's not remembering as remembering some past event, but it's remembering in, in such a way to where we enter into the the moment that we are remembering, that it is this mystical, it is this spiritual experience that, that as you're saying, that, that we are taken up into. Um, and he's surrendering himself totally to the Father's will. Yeah. He's giving himself, in this sacrifice, he's giving himself totally over to the Father, and he's inviting us to enter into that complete self-giving to the Father. And so we're asked these questions by the bishop. It says, when we attend Mass, do we seek to join Jesus in his total surrender to the Father's will? Mm -hmm. Second question, do we bring our imperfections, our toil and sin, and lay them before Jesus to be consumed by his death? Mm. Then he asks this beautiful line. We either say, with Jesus, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit to, or we choose to remain enslaved to our sin. Yeah. Either we're making this self-offering in the Mass, Right, whether whether or not we're at the mass or not, you're not attending, and it's not even possible. But even at the mass, either I'm surrendering myself, I'm here to make a self offering to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. or I'm going to stay enslaved to my sin. So if you want freedom from sin, you make the offering, you give yourself away. You want to be free from your sins and faults. Don't focus on the sins and the faults. Focus on the self offering to the Father. Yeah, he he talks about a little before that. Um, that this is how we participate in the Mass, uh, that, that we participate in it by linking our imperfect and sinful lives to the perfect and pure sacrifice of God um, and receiving all the divine benefits that flow, that, that our participation in Mass, our job at Mass, if you will, the way we um, fully, actively, consciously participate in Mass um, is to unite ourselves to the cross with Jesus and to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit too, that, okay, here are my sins. Um, here's all of it. Take it. Um, and, and here's all my hopes and my dreams and my wishes. And 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 that's how we participate. Um, and and it's it's with our minds for sure. It's with our bodies as well, but but it's a spiritual thing. So it has to be with primarily our spirits um, and uniting it to, to Jesus in that way. He moves into section two or part two of the document, Van Ramer Chernui. We're talking about uh, Van Ramer Chernui by uh, Bishop Olmsted, yeah. his apostolic exhortation. Um, and we're on part two, and he says, th- the title's it, Hold Nothing Back from Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as Jesus is giving the greatest gift of himself in the Eucharist, we are called to give ourselves totally over to him, right? And we talked about this before, but it's, it's, this, it's this encounter that God wants to have of us. And he uses this great example in his introduction about the missionaries who've given their yep. lives, sacrificed family um, to go off and to, to spread the, the good news, which is centered around the Eucharist. He talks yep. about religious who've given their lives to go sit in a convent or in a monastery and adore God yeah. for hours at a time. And he even uses later a, a, a quote from Charles de Foucault, the like, what a blessing, I get to sit before Jesus for 15 hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's incredible. This great grace, yeah. but, but that these religious who've consecrated themselves in, in the cloister to adore Jesus in the blessed sacrament, and the martyrs who've given themselves over their very blood yeah. for the sake of Christ, and even those who've been martyred because of their belief in the real presence of the Eucharist. He talks about... Um, Abentia in Tunisia, who did that, who gave, who would not deny the representatives in the Eucharist and had to give his life for it. Yeah. And so, um, 
It makes him, he says, we got to ask our, our question, what's our response? Yeah. If, if the missionaries and the religious and the martyrs um, and those who commit themselves to go daily mass have all made this response to the Eucharist, they've seen what God has done, this offering of the Father, what's our response? Yeah. What's our commitment? And it's very self-reflective because um, he's calling us to hold nothing back. Yeah. That, that the church, uh, we, we talk about tithing, you know, and oftentimes, and people get very legalistic, like giving my 10%. Mm-hmm. But the church in reality um, Thomas Aquinas, I think it's Thomas Aquinas, uh, says, maybe it's Augustine, don't ask how much do I have to give? Ask how much do I have to keep? Mm-hmm. Like, Lord, what do you? What do I have to keep in order to feed my family yeah. and provide for my needs? Because everything else question. I want to give away. It's a completely yeah. different question. Like that we, with the same Eucharist, it's like, Lord, it's not, you know, how do I, you know, how, what's the minimum I have to do, you know, to give myself over to you? It's like, can I give myself, like, how can I give myself totally and completely over to you because yeah. I'm that in love? It's, I love what he does when he's talking about the missionaries and, and the sisters in the convents where like where the Catholic missionaries didn't go out just to proclaim a message. Um, they certainly did that. You know, they were preaching and teaching, but um, but they also went out to then build churches, um, to actually plant themselves uh, with with the in these territories where where then people can then come gather. Why? To celebrate Mass, um, to celebrate the Eucharist, to partake of, of this great gift that God has given us, that it's not just about, um, that there's something so concrete, um, there's something so um, incarnational, if you will, about, about what the Eucharist then does with the faith, where, where all of a sudden then it demands that that we have to plant the, the the faith here so that we can build a church, so we can have mass, so people can come together. Where all of a sudden now, all of society begins to revolve around the altar. Um, and, and that's what I think a lot of this letter is about, is reordering our lives around this great mystery of our faith, which is the Eucharist. Yeah. And then moves into talking about the graces of Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that it, it transforms us into an altar Christus, that we, we are supposed to become what we eat yeah. in the Eucharist, that we're, the goal of it is to be conformed. And beautifully, he talks about why do we use bread? Why do we use wine? Well, because the bread is made because grains of wheat are plucked and thrashed and crushed and ground up and <laughs> kneaded and shaped and baked, yeah. right? And the, the grapes are plucked and smashed. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah. You know, that is grueling process. But that's what true love is. And we're invited to imitate the sacrifice of the cross. That even when we're receiving not just the body and blood of Jesus, we're even receiving these elements to think about what it took for this bread, what, what that grain of wheat had to endure to become that bread. And we too must endure this grueling process of the cross so that we too can become, through the reception of communion and altar Christus, um, we become one body and one spirit in Christ, um, which this this call to this this drawing together, this communion. He, he talks about this beautiful story of Cardinal Francis yeah. Nguyen Van Thuan, who was in a Vietnamese prison camp and would celebrate the mass holding a few drops of wine That's in incredible. one hand and like a crust of bread in the other. That's incredible. Because all he could get a hold of. Yeah. And he would celebrate the mass and, and he would keep Jesus in his pocket and he, they would pass it around between prisoners and adore him at night. They would gather in the evenings and all the other prisoners knew they're like five Christians and all this, mm-hmm. this whole camp. But they, the Christians were able to see, be together. And as soon as the light was went out, they would celebrate the mass together there. And they, they were all drawn together. And all these, these men, this silent witness that they gave, other men started becoming Christian. And they, these men were so strengthened in their faith that they endured the prison camp and kept their faith in the midst of hor- in a horrific situation. Yeah, that... Uh... 
that he would actually that that Cardinal Francis um, Nguyen Van Dan would actually hold the the host in his his pocket in his breast pocket, and they would do like adoration, um, and they they always knew that Jesus was present with them. His his I mean they were in a prison camp, so they didn't have a tabernacle uh, made of gold and and beautiful, but. So, but his actual—I think it's so beautiful to think about that his actual breast pocket became the tabernacle at at the prison camp, where and that's an image for us too that that we are then to to become our own hearts are to become little tabernacles for for the Lord to dwell in as well. And then Bishop just cries out, you know, mm-hmm. in forty four, how much we need the Eucharist in our world today, yeah. right? We're emerging from a pandemic which has crippled many with fear and left many in much suffering. Um, with this great division in our country, even in the church, um, there's a tangible and rapid decline in our culture, which produces empty noise and vain pleasures that drown out the invitation of God. Um, but in the Eucharist, God himself is our nourishment and strength. It motivates us inwardly to work tirelessly towards reconciliation, the restoration of justice, that, that, that people are going out into the streets to try and g- gain justice for a situation. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving ahead of myself, but he talks about how we need to go out into the streets with the Eucharist, yeah. Yeah. do Eucharistic processions and, and bring Jesus onto the streets because that's where the healing is. That's where justice is found. That's yeah. where the truth is found in the midst of the, the hurt and the healing and the pain of everything we're going through, that the response is not to, to some other a committee or some other natural <laughs> response, but it is not that those things are bad, but it's not that that's never going to be the root. Mm-hmm. It might be a branch of the tree, but it can never be the root or the stem that sustains it. And it's got to be the Eucharist that we have to devote ourselves to, to bring healing and restoration in the midst of these difficulties. It's one of the things that he he talks about. Another one of the kind of just the themes that, that really struck me throughout the letter is, um, is praying for faith in the Eucharist, um, where where it is sort of the the where we say that familiarity can breed contempt, and, and and perhaps we don't have contempt for the Eucharist, but we can become so familiar with this 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 ritual that we do every Sunday or perhaps every day, and um, and and how it's how it's hard to believe in the Eucharist he talks about later on and how, um, but just, are we, are we actually praying for the faith to believe in the Eucharist? Um, which I found to be such a, a provocative question where, where he, he says a couple of times where we should be begging the Lord for Eucharistic faith, uh, where, where it's almost as the, the centurion where I believe Lord help my unbelief. Um, and that, I think that's so often with us and, and to your point that, that that's where real justice is found. That's where real transformation is found. That's where real change is found is in the Eucharist. And it, and it doesn't quite look like that or make sense to us. But but this is where we have to be asking, okay, Lord, Lord, give me faith. Give me faith in the Eucharist. Lord, I'm begging for faith in the Eucharist. Give me faith to see the mystery that is before my eyes, to to convict my heart, to to move it with love. And 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 that's such an important grace to pray for um, that that some graces we won't receive unless we ask for them. Um, and if we don't have, if our, if our faith in the Eucharist is weak or small or confused, um, to pray for the grace um, to have faith in it. Amen. Um, speaking of faith, he moves in to talk about the next section, that, that faith oh, perceives that. what our senses fail to grasp. He talks about how in today's superficial, fast-paced yeah. world with sensational headlines and attention-catching spectacles, that we can lose our sense of wonder of mm-hmm. the Eucharist. Um, and, and that we need to 
to get back to that wonder that we have. Instead of, unfortunately, kind of points to the problem that so many, their practice, they've wandered away from going to Sunday Mass. They're too focused on work and sports and sleep and entertainment. And, and that when you do that, um, you lose track of what actually sustains, what yeah. actually gives life. In fact, I remember uh, we went to a Cardinals game. It must have been a couple seasons ago. It was before the <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if I can go back to one um, because everybody around me was drunk. Like we went after masses. So we did masses, it was an afternoon game. Yeah. We had all of our masses and we went out to the game. But most people seem like they've been partying there all day long. Mm-hmm. So this is, and they're going there and they're, they're worshiping. Yeah. This has become their altar. For sure. This has become where they worship. Yeah. And it was just so sad. I just sat there being sad. Yeah. Not just because the Cardinals lost, but, <laughs> but because. But it was debauched. It was deba- it was yeah. it was it was just this false that people were seeking after. Yeah. They're they're looking after someone something to worship. We are, we are created to worship, mm-hmm. and this is what people have substituted for God. There's yeah. a lot of, a number of people, and not everybody goes to Cardinals game. I'm not saying it's not sinful to go, but it just it was for me so hard. Yeah, because for a lot of people, this has become their Sunday worship. Yeah, and and we've got to get back to <laughs> it, it, that will never satisfy the heart. Yeah. It will never, watch why are these people are drunk? Why were they all drunk around me? All these number of people around me and cussing, it was terrible. But, but because they have no hope. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have nothing to live for. So they're just leaking, taking these temporary pleasures in life. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I remember that very well. Uh, and I am so struck by that word Bishop uses um, to reclaim our wonder. And, and I think that is a virtue that is certainly lacking in our society and our culture because in order to really wonder at something and, and really in order to be amazed at something that um, you really need to slow down um, and you need to let this thing outside of you um, work on you um, and you need to stop and you need to pause and and wonder and wondering at something and, and marveling at something is a contemplative act. And, and we're so, we're so fast paced. We're always moving on to the next thing. We're always moving on to the next thing. What is the next thing that I am to do? What is the next thing that I am to consume? Um, and, and the, and the virtue of, 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 of awe and wonder, um, necessitates that we slow down, that we pause. Um, even I'm just thinking of, I, I did like a silent retreat last year. And, and so we weren't talking at our meals. And, and I just, I allowed myself to slow down to actually like taste what I was eating and like, and enjoy each bite and savor it. And there was something like really freeing about that where I don't have to worry about keeping a conversation going. I don't have to worry about um, what I'm going to do next, that I can just enjoy what is in front of me. And I think that 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 is what he's inviting us into, that, that we can just enjoy and have a contemplative moment and, and wonder and, and let the Eucharist just, just work on us without having to worry about what is next or, or what I have to do next or, or, or what, do I, what is the next thing that I am to consume. So it brings up a lot of really big things in this next section. Um, and we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to have to touch on a few things. But mm. it talks about worthy reception of Holy Communion conforming our life with Christ. He talks about why do we have beautiful churches? Well, because we know that God is there. And just as we have beautiful churches, we should dress respectfully. So we should all pay attention to how we're dressing going to mass. Because if you're wearing like what flipper, you know, uh, slippers and a t-shirt and you know, uh, beach shorts, yeah. it's like you're going to the beach. 
there's no reverence and respect and belief in the Eucharist. So um, if you respect something, you're going to dress appropriately for it. So this is call for us to dress respectfully and reverently to recognize that our churches are beautiful for a reason and we're called to dress beautifully. Um, and then he moves into the connection between penance and the Eucharist, that we we need to be going to confession yeah. you know, for worthy reception of the Eucharist. Because he said, he, re, he just echoes St. Paul, that anyone who eats and drinks the body without, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. He even says, it is a sacrilege, it becomes a sacrilege and spiritual poison to eat the Eucharist unworthily. It is death to the bad and life to the good. So what can be our medicine of immortality, what can lead us to heaven, for those who are receiving worthily in a state of grace, yeah. with mortal sins confessed and in good standing with the church, can lead to death for yeah. those who don't. Because that's this is how important the Eucharist is. That yeah. it's the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. And just to treat it flippantly, yeah. just to say, well, you know, I'm in mortal sin, but it's not that big of a deal. Or I haven't even discerned my sins, or I haven't gone to confession in a long time. Or I'm not in good standing with the church. I'm married outside the church, but it's not that big of a deal. Is to say, I don't reverence and respect the Eucharist. And so there's this call upon us to recognize that brothers and sisters, you are either feeding yourself to heaven or to hell, mm-hmm. depending on how you're seeing. And you can actually, if you're in a bad state, you're not, you're married outside of the church, you're not in good standing with the church, you can still go to mass and be a witness. Yeah. And he talks about that, That's this a, beautiful it's woman. An incredible story. Yeah. That this is leading her to heaven, but recognizing I can't go up to receive the Eucharist, but I can still come to worship and yeah. give myself over in this mass, in this liturgy. Um, to sacrifice of myself and how, how it witness to our children. Yeah. And so we need to discern and recognize um, how important the Eucharist is in our lives. He says that if with our amen, um, that, you know, amen means I believe, if we refuse to accept and live by the whole teaching of Christ and his church, we are not in communion with him, but living a fake union, um, one that overlooks truth and justice, that, that, that that amen to the Eucharist is 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 saying I believe in the Eucharist that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and that I also believe in everything that the Church teaches. I I believe, and and it's communion, and it's um, communion of belief, communion of action, and that if we don't believe, then it's a fake communion, um, and that if we have mortal sins uh, on our souls, that that like you're saying, it becomes uh, a poison instead of a medicine. Um, and that's straight from the Bible. That's straight from the scriptures. Um, and the earliest apostolic teachings, as he mentions in the letter, um, were also reiterating the same thing. And and that and that you know, Catholics are not obliged to receive communion every Sunday. Um, they are obliged to go to mass every Sunday. And there's an important distinction there because there are times where we are not ready or disposed to receive, and that we shouldn't. Um, but we can still come to Mass. We can still offer our sacrifice of praise. And even how he talks about this mother who who didn't receive for months or years, that that her faith in the Eucharist and her respect for it and not receiving actually inspired a vocation in her son to become a priest. Um, not a priest, a, a theologian. Oh, a theologian. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, a moral theologian. And so— uh, that's just incredible what um, how important our actions, um, more than our words, our actions have to communicate a belief about the Eucharist. All right, we only have a couple of minutes left. We have one more part, part three, loving and adoring the Eucharistic Lord. Um, and basically he starts by, make every Sunday the day of the Lord. How we need to reclaim Sunday post-pandemic. And, and there's a lot of uh, ways in which Sunday can be kept holy. He gives a, a list of ways in which 
it can be kept holy, how we should set aside a time to go to Mass on Sunday and stick to it. We should make Sunday a, a truly set-aside day, a joyful day. Um, from Saturday sunset till Sunday sunset, that we should be set this time aside for God, turn off our phone for times, um, and make commitments um, to, 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 to things of your family, to things of God, and not to things of work. I find it, it was, I never thought about this, and I thought it was so beautiful where he talks about um, that, that without Sunday, without your week being oriented towards the worship of God, um, and Sunday being a holy day, then your week just becomes a succession of days that become empty, and time has no purpose or has no meaning anymore. That that time uh, and the week is ordered towards the the rest and the leisure and the worship of God on Sunday. And without it, the week becomes meaningless, then the year becomes meaningless, um, then our lives become meaningless as well. And so we see just, just keeping this day holy um, is so so important, he, and he gives those great examples on on how on how you could how you could do that. He encourages the daily mass, which I highly recommend. I know my life went, uh, really changed as I started going to daily mass and when I transferred up to Franciscan University in Steubenville. Uh, they kind of got me to start going to daily mass, and uh, you know, just just by the convenience of it. And I, I tell you what, it, it's been such a blessing in my own life to have, have to be able to celebrate the mass every yeah. day as a priest now. Yeah, um, which I do even on on days off and vacation. That's it's, it's a that's an honor and a blessing. He calls us to adoration, taking silent time, especially as parents, that we should take time and and and, and visit God and be with him. And it, you're, it'll be a witness. To, does my dad believe is what little little boys are asking? Does my mom believe is what little girls yes. are asking? And we need to be that witness to them by spending time adoring, even just stopping on the way home. He recommends and taking some time, set aside an hour a week to go and do adoration. Um, and in the adoration, to pray the rosary, liturgy of the hours, or be quiet, or whatever God calls you to. And even start to invite friends to adoration. Yeah. Invite other people to come and join with you in this call to adore God. I love what the, the, the thing you brought up where he talks about, you know, every little child secretly wonders, does dad believe? Does mom believe? And then he says, um, tell them that you do, but above all, show them that you do. Um, that your actions surrounding the Eucharist will speak so much more profoundly than your words. Um, and, and so whether that, you know, you're, you're driving home from work and you stop in for five minutes, that he says it's, it's not about the time spent. Um, it doesn't matter if it's an hour or two hours, or but it's about the love and the faith um, with which you're there. So if all you can do is make a, a five-minute stop on your way home, then then do it with great love and great faith. Um, or even as you're driving home with your kids and you, and you pass a Catholic church, just to sign yourself with the cross to demonstrate that like that Jesus is present there in the tabernacle. And so we're acknowledging that in, in some simple way or, um, or, or, or find ways to, to show them that you believe. Um, he talks, gives some advice to his priests of his diocese, and then he ends um, basically saying miracles aren't going to help us. This is like, incredible. G, g, the, <laughs> the host be, could become flesh and blood right in front of you, and that doesn't mean you're actually going to have faith. Yeah. Because look at look at look at the people who lived when Jesus was there. I mean, yes. they saw the miracles, they saw what he did, and yet they still crucified him. That the miracles don't lead to faith. Um, that we have to enter into a, a faith that comes through prayer. And you talked about that. We got to pray for faith. We got to need grace yeah. for faith. And, and not just ask for God to do the signs and the wonders and the miracles, but instead ask him to just speak that word into our heart, to let our hearts be transformed into, into a faith of his Eucharist that will help us in this difficult time, which we all need, especially getting over the difficulties in our nation and yeah. our church in the through the pandemic. He says that if we 
find that we don't love God, it is because we have not wanted to love him, um, tried to love him, or prayed to love him. Uh, and I find that to be such a, a sobering examination of our lives that that it is so true that if our love for God is weak, it's because we have chosen to love other things or we have not prayed for the grace to love him. And so uh, we can't conjure it up. We can't muster it up that that all we can do is just pray, uh, Lord, I want to believe. Lord, give me faith. Give me love. And and the Lord will the Lord will honor that prayer. The Lord loves that prayer. The Lord will give us the faith um, to believe in him and the love to love him. Amen. Well, thank you so much. There was just a little... Um response or our thoughts on Bishop's latest apostolic exhortation. You can find it at the Diocese of Phoenix website, dphx.org. We encourage you to read it, Down in Adoration Falling by Bishop Olmstead. And just our, our last question, just because Bishop Olmstead has been such a father yeah. to us, is there one moment, either a homily he's given, a word he said, an action that he's done that has really inspired and touched you? Um, I, I guess for me, it was even actually before we got here, just like, we didn't know who Bishop Olmstead was. We're about to leave and come to this diocese. And I watched the video he did after he had mm. excommunicated uh, a nun who had uh, who was the president of um, the hospital in town and had allowed a abortion to happen at a Catholic hospital. And so he removed their Catholic status. And and so they, they're interviewing him and he was getting a lot of bad press for it, yeah. a lot of bad press. Yeah. And one of the interviewers, uh, reporters asked him like how he was responding to all of the bad press he was getting. And he said, well, I wake up every morning and I spend an hour with the Lord. And that's where my identity is found. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really, basically he says, I don't really care or pay attention to what, <laughs> what the reporters are saying about yeah. me because my identity is found in God. And I found that so freeing, so, so inspirational. And he has been, he's been such a father. I, I could give a hundred different examples, but that one in particular just stands out with his love for the Eucharist and what's the, that's meant for his life and how that's inspired my life. I guess for me, the, the moment as uh, the moment of, uh, it was my diaconate ordination. And there's, a, I have a picture actually in, on, in my room of just him giving me the sign of peace after my diaconate ordination. And uh, it was just a beautiful moment um, between a father and a son and just sort of captured just, um, you know, hopefully some fatherly pride in, in me, you know, persevering in my vocation. But just, I would say, you know, those moments where uh, at my ordination, where that, that that sign of peace, where you just really feel you know, just the the Father's love and care for you. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, turn His countenance towards you, and give you His peace. And may Almighty God bless you, as I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www dot become fire dot faith that's dot f-a-i-t-h the franciscan friars of the holy spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization if you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission please go to www.becomefire.faith slash give that's become fire dot faith slash give may the lord give you his peace we'll see you next time